Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, last week we began a mini-series. We called it Risky Faith. Last week we, we talked about how a risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. We looked at Israel's failure, the the spies going into the land, their failure to enter the promised land, their failure to have risky faith, even though they had received a specific promise from God that He would give them the land. They chose fear and doubt. We talked about how believers, us as God's people, we're called. We're called to trust His promises and to take risks by faith. And we concluded last week with the encouragement that comes from knowing that Jesus has promised to be with us as He has called us out and sent us to make disciples. He's promised to be with us. That's where we were last week. And now today we're going to look at risky faith from a slightly different angle. We're going to talk about having risky faith when we don't have a specific promise to hold on to. Right? Israel was told many times by God, I'm going to give you this promised land. But what about situations where there isn't a direct word from the Lord? What do we do? How do we act if God is silent about a specific situation, a scenario that we find ourselves in, when there's no clear direction and we have no idea how something's going to turn out? What do we do then? My prayer and my hope is that we're going to see that as God's people, we're called to still take risks by faith And to trust God with the results. To leave it up to Him. And so we're going to look at a passage this morning and some people who did that very thing. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 6 to 14. As you're turning there, I'm just going to give just a quick brief context of what's going on right now. So Israel has been in the land for a while. David is the king. Israel has been prospering though there are still enemies that they face from time to time. One of those enemies is the Ammonites. Now the Ammonites had actually shamed some messengers that David had sent. He sent a royal delegation. They shamed them and embarrassed them and treated them so poorly that David now is angry at them. Basically the Ammonites declared war on Israel by their horrible treatment of this delegation. And so now they know that Israel is going to come. And so now they're going to go and try to hire out the Syrians to help them fight against Israel because they know that Israel's coming for war. This is where we're at. Verse 6 of chapter 10 of 2 Samuel. It says, When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Makkah with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob, 12,000 men, And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Makkah were by themselves in the open country. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians." The rest of his men he put in charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. 
But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. Okay, so if you didn't quite get all the details, the, here's the situation, here's the scene. We have 33,000 soldiers, Syrians, Ammonites, they're coming up to prepare against battle to face Israel. And they divide up into two groups to try to pinch Israel in. So one at the front, one at the back, so that hopefully if they are successful, Israel can't be able to retreat. They'll just get pinched and they'll be all cut off. That's the goal. And so it's this scenario, it's this situation that Joab, Israel's general of the army, he observes what's going on and he takes action. That's the first point this morning, right away, is that risky faith takes action. Risky faith takes action. Look again at verse 9 to 11. Verse 9, when Joab saw the battle was against him both in the front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel, arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in charge of Abishai, his brother, and arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, the Syrians are too strong for me, you help me. The Ammonites are too strong for you, I'll come and help you. He takes action. He says, okay, here's the situation. I'm going to take a bunch of these guys over here. We're going to fight these guys. Okay, my brother Abishai, you go over there. You go fight these guys, and we're going to see what happens. You guys fight. We'll help each other if we need it. Joab had to act in the moment. He had no specific promise or revelation from God that this battle was going to succeed or fail. Right? He had, but he had to make a decision, and so he made it. And you and I, we're going to find ourselves in similar situations. Maybe not in the army preparing for battle at both sides, but we're going to find ourselves in situations and scenarios where quick decision-making is required, where we're not quite sure exactly what God is going to do, but we still have to make a decision. We haven't received specific guidance from the Lord, but we've got to do something. And you might say, but but we're called to pursue patience and to wait on the Lord. Be still and know that I'm God. Yes. We are called to pursue patience. We are called to to wait and to hear from Him. But there are some times where action is required immediately. Where enemies surround you. And you have to do something. And, And we find ourselves in these situations. What do we do? And we might say, okay, I don't know what's going to happen here, God. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not even 50% sure about how this is going to turn out. I haven't heard from you. I've got to do something. So I'm going to try this. Can you please help? That's, that's, that's kind, of, kind of our approach. And you might say, oh, but Joab, I mean, he, he's this wise and experienced general, so he's got this great strategy, so isn't there something, some merit about that? Sure, yeah, there's a little bit of that. He is a wise and experienced general, but he still had no idea if his strategy was going to work. And so what do we do? When we wake up, we find that we're faced with decisions and we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if our plan is going to work. Any Keith Green fans in the house? A couple Keith Green, a whole bunch of you that are probably my age and younger have no idea who I just said. Keith Green was a musician who died tragically. He wrote uh, one line from one of his songs talking about this kind of very thing. What do you do when you don't know what to do? 
It says, just do your best, pray that it's blessed, and Jesus takes care of the rest. We're going to have to take actions. We're going to have to take risks. And we have to trust the Lord with the results. This is what Joab did. I love this story. It's kind of an obscure, short little story. And I love it not only because Joab takes action. He sees an issue. He sees a problem and goes for it. And he acts like a wise general. But he also trusts God with the results in his action. And he holds his life loosely. Look at verse 12 here. This is, this is the key for me in this passage. Verse 12, he says to his brother, Be of good courage. Let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. That's the second point this morning, is that risky faith holds my life loosely. Risky faith holds my life loosely. And look at this declaration of God's sovereignty. May the Lord do what seems good to him. To me, it's inspiring. He's kind of sitting there going, well, not sitting, he's preparing to fight. He says, if God wants to save us and give us victory, fantastic, great. But if not, he's still God. He's still good. He doesn't owe me anything. I hold my life loosely in his hands. Let him do what seems good to him. And now I want to just pause for a second and and just be clear on one thing. When I say hold your life loosely, I don't mean uh, utter carelessness and just throwing caution to the wind and taking any risk that there there, there could be in life and just like, well, whatever, just hold my life loosely. That's not exactly what I mean. Holding my life loosely, what I mean is truly seeking God's will and His purposes and His kingdom above our own. Looking to God and saying, You created me. You created me to bring glory to your name. I rebelled against you, and yet you rescued me through your son's sacrifice. You have forgiven me. You have granted me eternal life. So now, my life is yours. Use me however you want to accomplish your plans to bring glory to your name. That's what I mean by holding your life loosely. Recognizing that this life that we have According to 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 19-20, it's not really our life at all. Verse 19-20 of 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now the immediate context there is talking about fleeing sexual immorality and understanding who we are now and to, and to run away from sin and to cling to righteousness. But the principle applies. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify the Lord with your body. He's saying, Jesus paid. Jesus redeemed us from slavery to sin. Brought us from darkness into light. And when we think about this, and we think about all that Jesus has done, you know, Romans 12.1, in view of God's mercy and everything that God has done, what's the appropriate response? Offer your lives as a living sacrifice now. Here I am, God. All that I am. You died to save me. My life is yours. I surrender to your plans, even if they're full of confusion, even if they're full of disappointment, even if they're full of risk, even if they're full of pain, even if they're full of loss and death. That's a hard one. 
And it kind of flies in the face of our current North American culture, which values self-preservation so highly. Right? Let's just bubble wrap everything so no one can ever get hurt. And, and, and we can just have nice, uh, safe, comfortable, luxurious, long, quiet lives and live to be 125 each and slowly die in our sleep. But that's our goal. That, that, that's, that's kind of it. Watch out. Don't do that. Don't, don't try that because you could get hurt. Oh, no, no, no. Don't say that to that person. You could get rejected. Well, definitely don't go to that country and preach. You, you could die. Don't do that. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. But you see, following Jesus involves risk. And risk, taking risk by faith is actually good and right. Uh, John Piper has a famous quote. He has said this, it's better to lose your life than to waste it. What he's talking about is this idea, it's better to surrender your life to God, to take risks for the gospel, to trust God with the results, hold your life loosely. It's better to do that than to pursue safety, than to pursue comfort, than to pursue luxury above all else. And then we stand before the Lord one day with regret, knowing we had many opportunities to take risks for Him, and we didn't take them. So that's His encouragement. It's better to risk. It's better to to even die for the Lord than just to waste your life pursuing safety and comfort. And this is what Joab did. He held his life loosely. I'm not sure what's going to happen. And what did happen? Look at verse 13 and 14. Joab and the people who were with him, they drew near to battle against the Syrians. Here we go. It's time to fight. And they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they put their tail between their legs and they ran back. They likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. And Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites, came to Jerusalem. The Lord brought victory. They were able to rout their enemies. Success, party, victory. Way to go, Joab. But you see, again, right from the beginning, back, they had no idea that victory was going to come. And Joab isn't the only person in the Bible. There are a lot of people in the Bible that go through lots of different things. I'm not quite sure what God is going to do here, but I'm going to trust Him. How about our, our three amigos in the fiery furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon. They were told, you must bow down and worship the king. And they said, we will not do that. We will worship the one true God. And they said, if you don't worship the king, then you know what? You're going to get, you're going to get killed. We're going we're to put you in a furnace and you're going to burn alive to death. And they said, we're still not going to worship. So they capture him. They get ready to chuck him into the furnace. And you know what they say? They say, you know what? Our God is mighty. Our God is able. Our God is strong enough to save us, to deliver us from this furnace. He's able to do it. But if not, we still will not worship you. Even if we do perish, we're not bowing down to you. We're bowing down to the one true God. And now, what happened? God did save them. God miraculously intervened in one of the the craziest, coolest deliverance stories in in the Bible. Saved from fire. And the only thing that was burned up was the, the ropes. But there are times when taking a risk by faith and trusting God with the results that immediate short-term deliverance doesn't happen. There's no guarantee that God is going to step in and rescue you in the moment. What about John the Baptist? 
God's chosen messenger. Prepare the way for the Messiah to come. Preach repentance. Baptize. Let's go. And he gets arrested, thrown into prison because he confronted King Herod on something. And then what happens? He gets executed. He gets beheaded for obeying the Lord. For doing what God had called him to do, he goes to prison and gets beheaded. Or how about the Apostle Paul? Preaching the gospel, planting churches, going to all these different places, preach, preach, preach. He gets sent to prison, he gets beaten, he gets tortured, he gets shipwrecked, he gets sent to prison again, and then he gets killed for preaching the gospel, for taking risks, for doing what Jesus Christ had called him to do. He dies. Any other examples? You can turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and read that whole chapter, all these other examples of faith and how many of them were tortured, they were beaten, they were stoned, they were cut in two for following the Lord. We're not guaranteed safety for following the Lord. I have a a relative who served as a missionary in Russia for over 10 years. And he told me this, this story one time uh, when he was home visiting about him and another man. They were trying to smuggle Bibles into the country. They had this box of Bibles in their car. Okay, And so they come to this border checkpoint. And they're not quite sure exactly what to do. Because they, they understood the potential consequences of what could happen if they get caught trying to smuggle Bibles into Russia. This is during the early 90s. So there's some more historical context there. So they knew the consequences, but they also didn't want to lie. They didn't want to sin and say, no, we don't have Bibles. They wanted to have a clear conscience before the Lord. And if they did lie and say, no, we don't have Bibles, and then they checked, which they often checked, and found that there were Bibles, then it would be even worse. So they prayed. They're like, I don't know. We, we, we just believe that people need to hear about Jesus. They've got to have the Bible. They've got to have access to the Word of God. Let's pray, and let's just go for it and see what happens. And so the guard looks at them and says, what's in the box in the cars? Or in the car. What's in the box? What do you got? And they just looked at him and said, the box is full of Bibles, sir. And the guard laughed and let them through. Now, of course, they had no way of knowing that was going to happen. Right? All they knew is that people needed to know about Jesus, and so they took the risk by faith. We've got to get people a copy of the Bible. Come what may. May the Lord do what seems good to him. And they went forward. And so, so far we've seen today the story of Joab and others. Risky faith, right? it takes action. Risky faith holds on loosely. And the final thing that I want us to look at, one little more aspect of risky faith, which ties into holding our life loosely, is that risky faith is eternally minded. Risky faith is eternally minded. What do I mean when I say eternally minded? I mean it's being focused on forever. Being focused on forever and understanding that this life right here isn't all that there is. And that if I have faith in Jesus, I have a sure hope of eternal life. And if I have this sure hope of eternal life, then my perspective of earthly risks is going to shift. When I know that I have eternity with Jesus waiting for me, I look at an earthly risk from a different angle and say, that risk isn't maybe as great as I once thought it was. Because what, what can people really do to me? 
If I'm going to be with Jesus forever, what can people really do to me? Sure, they could, they could harm my body. They could injure my body. But according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to get a new body. Glorified, imperishable, immortal. Okay, as much as it may hurt in the moment, I'm, I have hope. I know I'm going to get a new body. And you may say, well, but, but someone could kill you if you do that. Yes, they could. It's a possibility. Philippians 1, 21. Paul, the Apostle Paul, to live as Christ, but to die as gain. Wait a minute, wait a minute. To live as Christ, to die as gain. What he's saying is, as long as I'm alive, as long as I'm breathing on this planet, the Lord has work for me to do, and I'm going to do what He wants me to do. And if I die doing that, that's better, because I get to be with Jesus. It's a gain for me to die. Because when I die... Brought into the presence of the Lord, all joy, no pain, no more sin, pure bliss. So it's better for me to die. So like Paul, risky faith knows, again, this life isn't the end. And all that to say, I want to be clear, I'm not encouraging us towards needless or senseless risk. Like it's some kind of race to heaven and that we should all try the craziest thing that we can think of, that that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is I'm encouraging us, anybody here, to maybe reset our priorities a little bit, to hold our life loosely, and to take risks knowing that Jesus is in charge, trusting Him with the results, believing that He's good, He knows what He's doing. And and that's hard, and it's hard for me. And I asked myself as I was kind of preparing this, can I seek to shed my desire for safety and comfort for myself, for my wife, for my kids, for the sake of Jesus and His kingdom? Can, can we do that? Again, not talking about reckless abandon all the time and that you can never ever be safe at any moment in the day. But our, can our vision switch? That we say, whatever Jesus wants me to do, I'll do it. Come what may. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. When I think about, you watch TV or you go on YouTube or you just hear about what's going on social media, the types of risks, the types of things that people do to try to win things that aren't going to last or to try to gain popularity that's not going to last, it's all going to fade away. You think about what happens, even just the Olympics, the type, some of those events are crazy. The pole vaulting and whatever, just to try to win a gold medal. And a gold medal what? You die and the gold medal, it's gone. Or I'll, I'll, I'll jump off of this crazy building and I'll get my buddy with an iPhone to film it so that I can maybe go YouTube and be viral and be popular. Or I'll, I'll juggle these flaming swords and catch them in my mouth on America's Got Talent, hopefully to win this contest, to win this show, to say, I'm the winner, I have talent. And maybe they win, and maybe they get the money, maybe they get the popularity, and then it fades. And I say, you took a crazy risk. That, that's nuts. I would never do that. And I would never encourage anybody to do that. And you won. But that fades. Can we take risks then for something that's never going to fade? Can we... Take risks for the kingdom of God that's going to endure forever and ever. And no, we're not promised 
earthly comfort. We're not promised earthly success in the moment. But we're promised everlasting joy, everlasting hope, everlasting glory in the presence of Jesus. And that should help motivate us. There was a famous missionary, Jim Elliott. Uh, He was martyred. He was killed by the tribe that he was preaching to. Before he died, he said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I can't keep that stuff with me. I can't keep money. I can't keep success. I can't do all this kind of stuff. I give it up. I give it up for the Lord. Now, throwing that quote up on the screen, I'm not saying that each one of us are now called to do exactly what Jim Elliott did and and go to South America or to Africa or to Asia or or to the Middle East and go uh, as this missionary abroad. I'm not saying that we're all called to do that in order to qualify of having risky faith. I'm not saying that. Although the Lord may be stirring people in this room towards doing that or maybe stirring people in this room towards something else. Maybe, maybe moving elsewhere in this city or in this country or, or a career change or something like that. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not going to declare that. But my question is, are we willing? Are we willing to take a risk? Are we willing to leave comfort behind for the sake of the gospel? Like I said, we're not promised short-term safety or short-term success. But we're not called to live for the short-term. We're not called to live for now. Called to focus on forever, to to take risks and and trust God with the results. To say, may the Lord do what seems good to Him. It is well with my soul. Now this series has has been short. I pray it's been thought-provoking, challenging. Like I shared, uh, studying and preparing for these messages, it's been convicting to me. As I evaluate my life, okay, do, do I really trust the Lord in all these things? Am I really willing to take risks for Him for the sake of the Gospel? And I know that I have a long way to go. I haven't arrived. I'm not up here. I'm just like, follow me. I'll show you how to do it. I'm learning. I have a way to go. Long way to go. But I'm hoping that each one of us can, can grow in this. That each one of us, that the Lord can continue to work in each one of us and then together as a whole, as, as a church, that we can grow in our ability to, to have risky faith. As we seek to follow Him, that we can take chances, take risks, and trust the Lord with the results. Do you think we can do that? you think we can start trying to do that? It'll be hard. It'll be hard at times, facing the unknowns. But it'll be possible if we go forth in the strength that the Lord brings. Not our own strength. Trust the results to Him. Can I pray for us as, as, we, as we think about stepping out and having risky faith? Let me pray. Lord God, even as I say that, You are our Lord. You are our Master. You are our King. We're called to follow and obey You whatever You call us to do. God, I pray for my own life first. 
that I would be willing to step out and take these risks and to trust you with the details. God, I pray for our church that as situations come our way where we're not sure exactly how it's going to turn out, that we would cling to you and cling to the hope that we have in the gospel of eternal life and joy. Lord, help help us as we are we battle so often with this this need to maybe be safe, this need to be comfortable, this need to pursue luxury, whatever it is. God, I pray that your kingdom and the purposes of your will would rise to the top of our motivations and our priorities. Help us. Give us grace. Whatever comes our way, help us to to focus on you, to focus on forever. May you be glorified in each one of us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.